Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. In our Old Testament lesson this morning, we hear a prophecy of the Christian church. Is it not a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest? In other words, God promises that the spiritual fruit that he desires from his people would soon come forth, even out of a barren land, and come forth abundantly. Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The church is ruled by her Lord Jesus. Jesus rules his church by grace. The fruitfulness of his church is produced by faith that trusts in God for Jesus' sake. He is the vine, we are the branches. As Jesus said in the same 15th chapter of John, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. We do not always know what our fruit looks like. We only know and feel that we are surely lacking. That is why Jesus does not tell us how much to produce and when. He who chose us before we sought him will make these choices too. Even if it means he brings us through many trials in the process. He will produce 30, 60, or a hundredfold if he so desires. He simply tells us to hear his word and keep it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What do you desire? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So will you be my disciples. That's what you desire. It is from this confidence that Jesus gives us toward God to ask his Father whatever we may desire, to believe that he is reconciled to us and stands willing to hear us as his own pleasing and precious children. It is from this confidence that all good fruits come forth. It is confidence in Jesus, God's Son, whose obedience in our place has fulfilled the law for us and turned God's wrath from us. God will worry about what your faith produces. He who says we must bear fruit also promises we will. It is surely by God's gift alone that his faithful people offer him true and laudable service, as we just prayed in our collect. And Isaiah says that God's children are the work of his own hands. What is key is that we be faithful. Our fruits do not earn what we need, but they please God who desires them. They please God who is pleased with us for Jesus' sake. Our fruits are precious to God for the sake of what is more precious, namely the holy blood of his Son, which he shed to cleanse us from all our sins. Jesus' fruit is more precious to us than our own. And it is by trusting him that we are made fruitful. So we abide in him and his words abide in us. 
We cling to his word. I am the vine, he says. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Certainly much has already been given to us. The best thing we have from God is what he teaches us in his word. Another word for teaching is doctrine. To us in the Lutheran church, pure doctrine has been given. And so from us, much fruit will be required. We can assert this in all humility. Our sufficiency isn't from us. We know what we have learned from God. This is how the Old Testament lesson spoke of the church. These also who erred in spirit will come to understand it. And those who complained will learn doctrine. This is the greatest mercy of God, to learn doctrine. It's not a punishment. It is a kindness. But what do we think when we hear the word doctrine? Do we, do we imagine some academic head knowledge? Do we think of bullet points to memorize and recite well enough? to be admitted to the communion rail, never to be quizzed or scrutinized ever again? God forbid. By doctrine, we mean that God teaches us. We are taught by God. Our Lord Jesus is God. He teaches us. We learn what he teaches in the small catechism. The small catechism is a little Bible. It summarizes and organizes in a simple way what Jesus wants you to know and remain in, we learn in humility. When Jesus tells you to remain in his word, he's telling you to return to the catechism, to learn it, to relearn it, and to judge what you hear and decide what you say according to it. He's telling you to go to church, to go to Bible class, to pay attention, to sing the hymns if you are able and to read along if you aren't, and look forward to heaven when you will be able. You have been given much. To whom much is given from him, much will be required. But woe to that man who has no desire to be given more. For even what he has will be taken away and given to him who has much. Or as Jesus says in John 15, the father, the vine dresser, will cut him off. From the vine. If God desires fruit from us, then we must desire what is good from Him, even if it means He ends up requiring more from us. Our, our spiritual goal is not to produce our quota of fruit. Our goal is to abound in what pleases God by loving the mercy that abounds toward us. And by His mercy, we ourselves are pleasing to God. So let God worry about how much more he will require of us. We always need more from him. He does not require more than he gives. Without learning Christian doctrine, see where we are left. 
We are rendered deaf and blind and poor and unable to speak. As we review those words from Isaiah 29, those who seek to tempt you and ensnare you do so by using false words. They turn aside the just, those who through faith in Jesus are righteous before God by using empty words. Words are powerful. Words teach. For good or bad, false words and true words, false doctrine kills, pure doctrine revives. What either helps or hurts you is what teaches you. Jesus came to teach Christian doctrine. His words are spirit and they are life. They are the words of eternal life. His words are never empty and they don't return empty. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall be opened, shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. These words were fulfilled in our gospel lesson. They were fulfilled when Jesus walked the earth teaching and preaching. And by proving his authority to teach and preach by mighty signs and wonders. Jesus is the Holy One of Israel. He didn't teach simply by listing facts for scholars to memorize and categorize. He taught by teaching us to think. He teaches us to make distinctions. Before we only briefly consider what miracle Jesus worked in our gospel lesson, I would like first to consider one such distinction that St. Paul learned from Jesus, which he addresses for us in our epistle lesson. It is the distinction between the spirit and the letter. We discussed this last week, and we will discuss this distinction next week too. As a matter of fact, this distinction governs what we consider every week. In every devotion of scripture or passage we try to memorize, or Bible study or song that we think is beautiful. It is the distinction between law and gospel by which we judge and understand it all. The letter or law kills. The spirit, the gospel, gives life. God's name is hallowed among us. When the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead a holy life according to it. We ask for this in the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Just as it was prophesied that we would hallow his name and rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Now Jesus makes this petition first for a reason. The proper distinction between law and gospel is such a particularly brilliant light. Without it, the word of God cannot be properly divided, and the scriptures cannot be understood at all. We must guard this distinction with such care so that the law and the gospel may not be mingled together, or the gospel turned into just another law. If that were to happen, the merit of Christ would be obscured, and troubled consciences would be robbed of Christian comfort. And God's name wouldn't be hallowed. Pure doctrine is no small matter. Nor is it only a concern for academics and scholars. It is your concern. 
It was Jesus' concern for you when he opened your eyes, opened the eyes and ears of the blind and deaf, and when he loosed tongues to speak. Just as Jesus came to distinguish light and darkness, truth and error, he teaches us how to do this too, by taking heed to the words of the Bible as God's own voice to us, and by learning this distinction between law and gospel as the precious light that it is, shining into a dark place. And this is why St. Paul says, as we heard already, that our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency as ministers and our sufficiency as Christians, what we have comes from God. He says we're not ministers of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The Old Testament is most clearly identified by the giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. The New Testament is most clearly identified by Christ's fulfillment of the Ten Commandments, by his holy life and death and resurrection. The people of Israel could not look at Moses' face when he came down from God's presence because of how brightly it reflected God's glory. He had to put a veil over his face just to speak to them. But in the face of Christ, we see not a mere reflection of God's glory. We see the express image of God. And he shines his face upon us and is gracious to us. And we look to him and are radiant. And our faces are not ashamed. Psalm 34. And another psalm. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, Lord, your face I will seek. Psalm 27. And why? How? If, if, if this glory is even greater than the glory that shone from Sinai when the law was first given, how dare we gaze at it, undestroyed, unashamed, and lifting our heads in joy? How? If Moses' face we cannot bear to see. It is because whatever glory God's demanding and condemning law had, as Moses tells you how to be, how to think, how to do and speak, this glory is but a dim and obscure shadow of the glory of God forgiving sinners their sins for the sake of Jesus, who obeyed as our substitute, Jesus who was, thought, did, and spoke everything well to the glory of God and for your everlasting salvation. And the glory of condemnation passes away. But the glory of Christ's satisfaction remains. What the law requires, Jesus paid. What the law exposes is what Jesus bore on the cross. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Romans 5. So let it abound. Let your sin be exposed. Let the veil be torn off Moses. Let him glare at you and tell you what to do. Look at what the letter of the law requires and ponder its deeper meaning and your deepest failure and repent of your sins and cling to what abounds more than your sins. Cling to the blood of Jesus that purchased and won you and remain there. Abide there by sticking to what your Savior has taught. As Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 8, that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
So walk according to the Spirit. To walk according to the flesh is to trust in the flesh. To walk according to the Spirit is to trust in Christ. The law can convince the flesh to behave, at least outwardly, but it cannot bear fruit that God is pleased with. Only the gospel can do that. The Holy Spirit teaches us to groan inwardly for God's mercy. The same Holy Spirit teaches us to groan, teaches us to direct our hearts to Christ at God's right hand, teaching us to say, there all my sin has been gathered. There all my sin has been paid for. There all my appeal, all my defense, and all my hope is seated in glory, interceding for me before the God the Father Almighty who raised him from the dead for my justification. And he who reigns in heaven is he who remains with me on earth. I see his face. It shines upon me in the preaching of the gospel, in the baptism of helpless sinners, in the eating and drinking of the body and blood of Jesus that fills all things for me. Learning Christian doctrine, dear Christians, therefore is much more than learning how to behave as a Christian. Learning Christian doctrine is being taught by God. It is to believe in Jesus and to remain in him. You walk according to the Spirit by holding the public proclamation of his words sacred and gladly hearing and learning it. The ministry of the church today is identified by the proper distinction between what condemns you and what saves you. And Jesus sends ministers to preach the gospel, which requires that they preach both the law that drives home your need for mercy as well as the gospel that delivers God's mercy. But the task of his church is more than just making you feel guilty and then cheering you up. It is for the church's ministers to teach every article of the faith and for the church's members to learn the faith, to apply it to their lives, and to bear fruit. But what fruit? And so we return to where we started. You desire fruit. God desires that you bear it. You desire love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and for sure, more self-control. You desire the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians 5, and that he says, against which there is no law, because you want to escape from the law, but your desire for the fruit you lack brings to mind the sin you regret. You have broken the law. So begin here. You who lack fruit, who desire fruit, and who want to please the God who has saved you and whom you love, begin not with attempts to free yourselves from the law or to cover Moses' face again, but with the good news and wholesome doctrine of Christ that teaches you how and why you are not condemned and how and why you can face God with confidence. And will it not be a very little while till you shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. It is when you who complain learn doctrine. They brought a man to Jesus who could not even complain. They complained for him. He could not learn, so it appeared. 
Jesus did not want to help him without teaching him. He doesn't want to help you without teaching you. What you learn is more precious to him than that you be fixed. Jesus brought him aside, thus indicating that each man must believe for himself. What Jesus has to offer is also for each one of you individually, not just for your pastor or for those who are smarter or better at remembering the Bible or who go to Bible class already. Look to Jesus. He deals with you. He teaches you. Jesus put his fingers in his ear. I make you hear. He communicated by sign language. Then he communicated both how and why he would make him hear by communicating also that he would make him speak. He spit and touched his tongue as though to say, by my words you will hear. I make you hear so that you might hear me. By what proceeds from my mouth you also will be able to speak. I make you speak so that you can confess me. And Jesus looked up to heaven. He had come from heaven. He spoke his father's words. What he teaches us is heavenly doctrine. He reconciles us to heaven. And this he communicated. He said, Ephatha, be opened. And so he says to you. And so he says to heaven that is now prepared to receive you. Because Jesus opens your ears in order to loose your tongue. He opens your ears in order to open your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever he teaches you to hear, whether he reproves or corrects or even rebukes and condemns, he teaches you so that his grace may abound. And where grace abounds, the fruit that God desires abounds all the more. It will begin in your ears, into your heart, and out of your mouth. It's what the body is for. It's why Jesus heals it. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a spiritual sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12, verse 1. We desire to bear such fruit. Our God expects it. So when we feel that we are anything but a fruitful field, we begin always with this chief and most precious fruit of faith. We begin with a good, clear, orthodox Christian confession of the faith that our Savior teaches us to know and hold. We learn as branches of the vine to depend on him, live on his word, sing it, speak it, and rejoice to hear the gospel. Whatever else our Father would work in us must always begin here in learning from Jesus, who indeed does all things well. In his name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.